He was the one that was the extra, and he was going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> I thought I was the one who died on that planet, but I'm going to die on this planet. I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Movie Bite Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, September 18th, 2013, and I'm joined in the back seat of the station wagon today by Chad Hopkins. How are you, Chad? I am doing all right, aside from being in the back of the station wagon. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, I, <laughs> I actually, you may be too young for this, Chad. I rode in the back of a station wagon to kindergarten uh, with the, we had a carpool. Uh, I actually went, I was homeschooled since the fourth grade, but I went to a private school, uh, up to the fourth grade and, uh, we carpooled with, you know, like, uh, somebody would come pick me up in the morning. My mom would pick everybody up in the afternoon. And, uh, and I rode in the back of a station wagon to school in the kindergarten. Uh-huh. So I I look as soon as that came on the screen I was like oh wow <laughs> uh, no, I forgot I, I personally things. haven't had any experience with that I guess I'm a little bit too young All right well before we dive into the way way back too much uh, which you know you're you're going to be carrying a lot of that conversation normally I write out like notes and things about how I feel about the movie it has been such a busy week for me that I'm going to be winging it which I think I can do but you're going to have to help me. <laughs> So, and okay. you, you like this film a lot, so I think that'll be okay. But before we yeah. do that, we want to uh, talk about some stuff like we normally do. We want to tell folks about the trailers, uh, how we feel about those. Is there some sort of fan or something running where you're at, Chad? No. Is it particularly It loud? sounds like there's a fan blowing right on your mic. Okay, I will adjust positioning. Yes, we'll, and we'll do this live on the air so folks can, can keep up with the... Uh, uh, how, how shall we say the excitement of live podcasting? <laughs> Is that any better? Oh yes. Much better. Much better. Okay. Great. Far better. So with that, then we will, we will let folks know, uh, what we think about some trailers and things that we've been posting on the site. So here we go. Trailer bite. In a world. In a world. 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 In a world. All right, so this week we only have uh, five topics for trailers. The, the Railway Man, a new trailer for a new film I hadn't heard of yet, uh, and uh, five clips from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, two The Fifth Estate clips, and Last Days on Mars trailer. So let's talk first about what looks to me possibly maybe uh, like an, well, let's see, when is it coming out? Uh, um, 12-26, yeah, yeah. So, so it yeah. looks like it could be an, an Oscar bid perhaps. Uh, for yeah, this possibly. year, uh, I don't uh, know because it certainly has that feel to it. Like it's it's pretty heavy on the drama, which I think the Oscars tend to lean towards. I would say, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. And I don't think there's even an official U.S. release date just yet. That's the uh, Australian release date. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I remember noting that. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. So, who, I don't know what that means for the Oscar bid or or whatever. But I, I don't want to know how these things work necessarily. I just like to watch movies, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, from the upcoming film, The Railway Man. Well, I'd never been to the Highlands before. It's very romantic. You romantic? He's a wonderful man. I've seen it, but he's a mess. I want to know what happened to Eric. I don't believe in this code of silence that you have. War leaves a mark. Yeah. 
All right, so I'll let you go and, and actually watch this trailer and get some visuals with it our, for our fine listeners can, can go and do that, and they'll find the link in the show notes. But uh, what, do, what do you think, uh, Chad? Do you think this is going to be any good? It looks pretty good. You know, this is the first time I've heard of it as well, and uh, I'm a fan of both Firth and Skarsgård, uh, Stellan Skarsgård. And uh, the premise is intriguing, and I, I have in my notes, it, it definitely has high Academy Award potential just based on the trailer. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Colin Firth, I mean, obviously he gets around. Uh, for me, the big thing that I'm familiar with him from would be the Pride and Prejudice TV miniseries on from A&E, uh, where he played Mr. Darcy and did a wonderful job. Yes, uh, people, yes, I'm talking about Pride and Prejudice, and that's okay. <laughs> I think I think uh, that my man card can still remain intact. Uh, I didn't expect to like that series, by the way. When I watched, sat down to watch it with my wife, she insisted, of course, and I'm glad she did because I really enjoyed that TV miniseries and hated the new Pride and Prejudice m- movie, if, if that's any consolation to anybody. <laughs> uh, but but that was a wonderful little TV miniseries and uh, starred Colin Firth, among others. And uh, so that was my first introduction to him. And I think I've seen him in one other thing. I'm looking through the IMDb list here. I can't find anything. But I kn- it seems like I've seen him in one other thing. Tell me you've seen The King's Speech. I haven't. Oh, no. I'm sorry. It's been on my list for quite a while. But, uh, you know, the, the films that... Uh, that happened before I started Movie Bite tended to get a little more overlooked because I had a tight movie budget and I had to pick and choose which films I would go see throughout the year. I didn't see one every week. I didn't spend that kind of money. So now I just spend right. money left and right, throw it out, you know, uh, just throw it at the ticket booth. Here, take all my money. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, that's uh, Colin Firth I, I like a lot as far as I know. So that'll be fun. Uh, Skarsgård, the only thing that I've seen him in is The Avengers. Uh, oh, well, and, and I should say the Marvel Universe, because he was in Thor. Yeah, and he was in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He was, oh, was he? Uh, a bootstrap Bill Turner. Oh, I don't, I, for some reason, I guess I didn't recognize him because he had too much of that makeup and stuff on, and uh-huh. what, what little we did see him without the makeup at the very end of the series, I probably has not stuck in my mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah so I've from, seen him in that. Aside from that, I've seen him in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and he was uh, the villain in that, and it was pretty good, too. Okay, cool. Well, uh, yeah, so, and he seems like a pretty good act, uh, actor. Of course, uh, Nicole Kidman, you probably recognized her voice. Uh, I'm trying to think uh-huh. of what she's been in. I know I've seen her in something, um, but she's obviously a known, known figure. Um, so uh, I, I can't recognize anything. Have you seen her in anything? I've seen her in a couple of things, but I, I can't name them off the top of my head. She was in one of the 1990s Batman movies. Yeah, Batman so Forever. Against her. Batman Forever 1995. I guess maybe I haven't seen her in anything. I've just seen her around because um, I'm not recognizing anything on this list. Well, anyway, this film uh, looks to be pretty good. Uh, it's it's kind of about a man who lived through World War II, as I understand it. Um, uh-huh. And uh, he's uh, probably he's dealing with some issues from that. He finds out that one of the uh, one of the men who were like his captors or whatever uh, I guess he was a prisoner of war is kind of what it looks like. Yeah. And uh, one of the men, one of the Japanese who was his uh, captor is still alive and he finds out about it. And I, I think that the idea is he's going to be dealing, figuring out how to deal with that and struggle with that and whether or not, you know, he should take matters into his own hands or whether there's some more extenuating circumstances. So that's, I think, kind of the thrust of this film. What do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, post-traumatic stress disorder is sort of that and his finding this Japanese guy is going to be a sort of way of trying to confront the PTSD and clear his head a little bit. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, so I'm definitely going to be looking forward to that one, and uh, we'll let you know as soon as we find out if there is a U.S. release date, because as you've mentioned, that is the uh, Australian release date, 12-26-2013. So I'm guessing that we probably won't see it this year. We'll probably see it next year. And I'm guessing it'll probably have limited release, given the kind of film that it is. That's kind of the way these things go. Yeah. So moving on to uh, five clips from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're not going to talk over talk this because I've talked – I know we've talked so much about how excited we are for this <laughs> show. I know uh, – Fizz was warning me uh, not to get so attached to the show because it's probably been overhyped so much that we won't uh, we won't be too happy with it uh, because we'll be like expecting too much. But I have to say that my favorite quote from last week I did post these uh, clips last week on Thursday. My favorite quote of that week came out of one of these clips, and uh, so I'm just going to play it until we get to that quote. Here, so uh, here is that clip. That's the night night gun. Look, it's on my stuff and it doesn't work, and there's no way we're calling it the night night gun. The bullets work. Non lethal, heavy stopping power, break up under the subcutaneous tissue. Yeah, with a dose of only 0.1 microliters of dendrotoxin. I'm not Hermione. I can't create instant paralysis with that. (laughs) (laughs) She's not Hermione. She can't create instant darkness or instant paralysis with that. (laughs) <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Anytime yeah. you can throw a Harry Potter quote or, or not, a reference to Harry Potter, I should say, uh, into something, you're, you're, you're good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that we're at that point where you can start quoting Harry Potter and other popular culture and people get it. Yeah, I think the movies have really done that for us. Yeah, for uh, sure. I, yeah. And I, I think that, uh, you know, it certainly had a fan base for the books and then we started – the movies started getting more and more popular and I think uh, – David Yates taking over the franchise and really doing something with it after the terrible film that was the fourth film. Uh, I, I don't think that's too much disputed. I don't think I'll get too much flack for that. The, fil- the fourth, I, I love the fourth book is fine, but the fourth film is just terrible. Uh, I agree. Anyway, um, so yeah, I think we're really at that point now where it's kind of starting to sink into the popular culture that you can kind of make those quotes. Even people who may not have read the books of Harry yeah. Potter or watched the movies probably know who, who, who Hermione is at this point. Uh, if if you don't know, shame on you. She's she's kind of a uh, she's a uh, a whiz at at magic and everything that she does in the books, and she's kind of a bookish bookworm. Uh, yeah, she's great. So anyway, yeah. So really loved all these clips, though. Love seeing what we're gonna be up for. I kind of feel like though we're starting to get to that point of saturation. I know, and I know you like to avoid these things. I, I really can't. I'm running a movie by um, a movie website, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I know you like to avoid these things, but I think we're getting to that point though of saturation where it's like, okay, if you give us much more, we're gonna be able to edit together the first episode on our own. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we're, we're starting to get to that point, but it's been fun and. Sometimes for me, it's about the journey as much as it is the destination. And so I've really enjoyed this, the, the way they've been campaigning and, and presenting stuff to us so far. So, Yeah. Well, less than a week left. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, it's going to be interesting since I don't have a regular subscription cable service. Uh, all I have is Hulu. Um, and then, of course, you know, I could go through iTunes or whatever if I had to. And I think for the, my general rule is I don't pay for – uh, to own shows anymore. I, I've done that a few times, and, but I don't like get season passes or anything. I try to wait for Netflix or, you know, go through Hulu if it's available on Hulu. So I might make an exception for this show if it's not available on Hulu, but I really hope it is. Uh-huh. So, anyway, uh, The Fifth Estate, uh, two clips from that. Um, this has, uh, speaking of Harry Potter, this first clip has another actor from Harry Potter in it. So what's this new leak you're sitting on? 
Recognize that voice? Piqued the interest of the CIA. Recognize the voice? I do. It's, it's Lupin. Professor Lupin, yes. Uh, so that's uh, – uh, let's see if I can find his name here and pronounce it correctly. David um, – is it David Thewlis? It's close enough to close enough for me. Okay, yeah. So of course he played Professor Remus Lupin, and he was in uh, a film um, that I saw earlier this year with Bruce Willis. And uh, hmm, names escaping me at the moment. Uh, you know what it is, though, right? I do. Um, I know he was in War Horse a couple of years ago. No, no, no. This uh, is David uh, Thewlis. Uh, this film came. Oh, Red, Red Two. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he was in Red 2. He was a uh, wine connoisseur and underground salesman of some kind. Anyway, so he's he's featured prominently in this first clip here uh, from the Fifth Estate. Um, I'm 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 hopeful for this because I think it explores you know themes and things that need to be brought out uh, that have to do with um, Julian Assange, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what they're doing. And of course, Benedict Cumberbatch. So yeah, duh. We're gonna we're gonna be seeing this one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and especially in that second clip uh, where he's uh, sort of angry at the other guy, uh, you hear a long clip of him talking, and his Australian accent is very good. I was really impressed. Pages in the Guardian, twelve in the New York Times. This is more coverage than all the leaks we have had combined. We're winning an information war which goes beyond any short-term alliance we have with the mainstream media. Do you want to throw it all away because you fear that some U.S. government informer might come to harm? So I think that's, that's the one you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. He sounds so cool. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm i a fan of Cumberbatch, and uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fan of the material here, um, depending on how they present it. <clears throat> so so I'm holding my breath for a good film there. Uh, what is the release date on that? Oh, and by the way, we I, well, I guess we did mention the release date for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's 9-24-2013, uh, so just coming up next week. Uh, and so The Fifth Estate comes out on the 18th of October. Is that right? Yes. Yep, a uh, month from today. Yep, so we're looking forward to that. So one more trailer before we move on to the news, and that is uh, one that's coming out straight to video on demand, uh, Last Days on Mars. Uh, this trailer looks really intense. Um, not sure if I've seen a rating for this film yet uh, anywhere, and maybe since it's not coming to theaters, it's not a, a deal that they rate it, but it, I think it would be probably rated R if, they were, yeah. if it was rated. So here's the trailer. Control. This is Chief Systems Officer Clinton Campbell speaking. Ten things about Mars you won't miss when you're back on Earth. Only ten. So everything kind of goes crazy after this point in the trailer. There's apparently some contagion or something that goes. Uh, it gets distributed among the crew. Things get a little pretty rough. The very short description on IMDb is that a group of astronauts, ex- astronaut explorers, come one by one to a mysterious and terrifying force while collecting specimens on Mars. Obviously, it's a bit futuristic and sci-fi, uh, starring, uh, I, I never know how to pronounce this guy's name, L-I-E-V, Leev? Leev? Leev Schreiber or Leave something Schreiber, like that. something like that. So yeah. um, I don't recognize, uh, Olivia Williams, it seems like I should know her, but I, it's the only other name that I recognize possibly in this uh, cast. Romello Garia, Elias, Elias Coteus. Anyway, it, it, uh, <laughs> it, it looks interesting. What do you think? I think it has potential. I mean, I like a good thriller and uh, putting one in space 
seems like it would work. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm not really looking forward to it necessarily, but I'm not against the idea of it. It might just be a film that I have to see what the buzz is before I decide whether to see it or not. Yeah, yeah, it definitely looks like it's combining elements of a thriller and a horror film, um, and it's fine. It could be okay. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's going straight to video on demand. Like, you think if it was a good film, they would try to get it out in the theaters. So it kind of makes me wonder, you know, if there's going to be anything good there. I don't know. You know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think the video on demand spells disaster or anything. There's other films that have been pretty successful releasing video on demand first. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's true. I mean, I've seen one or two good video on demand things, but on the other hand, I've also um, seen, seen some pretty bad straight to straight to DVD films. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but you're right. I mean, I've seen some good ones. Uh, Stargate uh, Continuum, for instance, is a great straight to DVD film. But I'm a big fan of the franchise, so you know, I don't know. Yeah. So, Chad, uh, let, let's move on. Uh, let's move on past. We've, we've talked about our trailers now. Let's talk about some of the news and things that are going on. Uh, okay. The first, number one uh, at the box office this weekend, uh, this past weekend, was Insidious Chapter 2. looked terrible to me, but you, you say it was okay. It was okay, and I was honestly surprised. Uh, I, I own the first film, and I, I liked it well enough except for the ending. And uh, because the ending wasn't so good, I didn't expect a lot from the sequel, and uh, went ahead and went and saw it with friends this past weekend just for fun and ended up liking a lot more than I thought I would. Huh. Um, if I had to rate it, it'd probably be three and a half or four. Um, it, it was consistently good throughout, which is more than can be said for the first film. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. It, it, I thought it was pretty well done. So, so what, I mean, what is there like about such a film? I mean, it look it just looks terrible, like horror, yucky. I don't know. <laughs> It's just a good jump out of the jump out of your seat thriller film. Uh, so was there was there an actual plot to that that, that drew you to it or? Um, I what? think the first one I went and saw just because it was a scary movie and that's what we were in the moon to go see. And uh, <laughs> uh, the second one, I, I mean, I, I hoped that they would sort of continue the first one because I liked the first one, and uh, they did a pretty good job of continuing the plot and uh, not cheapening the first film. Okay. All right. I, so I, I mean, if it, if you're into that kind of film, I would recommend it. Uh, if, after you see the first film, of course. Yeah, I think maybe the problem is that I'm I'm just not into the horror genre in general. I'm not necessarily opposed to it, but I've just never seen. I can't think of one that I've seen that I really really liked. Um, and if you can name one that I've talked about that what I wasn't thinking about it, I'm not, I'm just not being able to recall it to mind or whatever. That's fine. But I, I think in general, I just must be not a horror fan in general. Yeah. So. I don't remember you ever talking about any, have you seen the shining? Um, no, no, I haven't. Okay. The shining, the shining Jack Nicholson, oh, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Kubrick film. So, um, I've only seen one Kubrick film and I hated it. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, as a, a 2001: A Space Odyssey. I don't. I don't know how representative that is of his other films, though. Um, yeah, I don't know because the only Kubrick film I have seen is The Shining. Unfortunately. And you, you like it? Oh, I love The Shining. Okay, I need to put it on. In fact, I'm going to open up my uh, list of films that I want to see right now. Uh, Great. Although with my with my schedule, it's just so hard to get to see more than what we schedule for Movie Bite. Uh, movies to see. Oh, that's weird. I accidentally started two lists. Uh, movies to watch. I think that's... Oh, I think the idea was one is current in theater. And Okay. 
Here we go. So the shining. Yeah. And I'll put here Kubrick in the notes. So maybe maybe 2001 A Space Odyssey was just like, you know, uh, different from his other work. I don't know. And that's yeah. that's bad. I need to know more about Kubrick because I know he's an icon in the industry. Right. So moving on. Uh, and, and so, by the way, we should let our audience know. Normally, most weeks, I and even back when, we were, when Joe was still on board, I was usually the one preparing the outline, although Joe was a little more involved, I, I think, just, you know, because uh, he and I kind of co-founded the site and, and – uh, and started the podcast together, but I would, I, you know, if you have time chat, I'd love for you to do more of this too. Uh, but I, most most weeks, I prepare the show outline. And I I put in the topics we're going to talk about. And uh, this week, I did not have time to do that. I've just been so slammed this week. And so you've you've put this together. So everything that we I talk did. about in the items of interest is something that you wanted to talk about. And yeah. you you wanted to tell us a little bit about World War Z. And there's a sequel that's getting ready to be made. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I liked the first film well enough. Um, it was a pretty decent action film. Uh, it, it wasn't awful, I should say. Um, and I, I don't hate the idea of a sequel. Uh, so uh, Brad Pitt uh, in this video talks about how they've definitely been talking about re- making a sequel and getting it to work and exploring the zombie world. And um, I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah, World War Z was a, more of a contagion film to me than it was a zombie film. It was almost yeah. like zombies were the result of a contagion. Not not really. It wasn't really about the zombies as much as you might think when you hear the word zombie film. Not not like that one. That, what was that film that Nicholas Holt was in that I hated so much? Um, uh, Nicholas Holt. We'll see real quick because it should be pretty. Cl- uh, uh, Warm bodies. That oh. was that was a, a a weird take on a zombie film, but it was a zombie film. This film, yeah, I guess you'd call it a zombie film, and and maybe for better or for worse, it uh, it's really a kind of a contagion film. So, yeah. uh, and, and there there's certainly there's certainly room for a sequel. Now, the film didn't do I think as well as the studio was hoping. Um, in fact, I'm looking it up on Box Office Mojo as I talk. Um, it, it just didn't. I, I mean, I think it did okay. But I don't think it did what they were expecting it to do. So domestically, uh-huh. it's brought in 201 million. The budget was 190 million. So it's it basically, and and you can't even call that. I mean, we call it breaking even because that's this. You know, it, it's it's 10 million over uh, what its production budget was. But when you think about, it, I mean, that's that's really split between the theaters and, and and then you've got to consider the marketing that went into it. I mean, that budget is purely the production budget to produce that film and and get a, a film put together it doesn't include anything else so Uh it it really hasn't broken even domestically at all now you have to factor in especially these days foreign which is even uh quite a bit more than what it brought in here domestically 335 million foreign total so worldwide it has brought in 536.8 million okay now uh your typical logic in the industry says that you need to make two and a half times your production budget in order uh to break even uh, this film has uh, done just just a little bit better than that. Uh, it's at uh, I'm, I'm trying to do some quick math here. So two point uh, okay, so that is roughly two point eight times production budget. So they've they've made their money. Uh, they've uh-huh. made a little bit of money at, at at the idea that two and a half times production budget breaks them even. They've gone a little bit over that. So the point is, I don't think it's the warm reception that they were hoping for. Uh-huh. So I say I say all that to say um, 
And and the quote here from Brad Pitt is that uh, he says, we're certainly talking about it, yes. We have so many ideas on the table from from the time we spent just developing this thing and figuring out how zombie worlds work. And that means to me we're certainly talking about it means the studio has not said yes yet, and they want him to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they want some convincing. Yes. They, they want assurances that, hey, this is a this franchise has some legs, and it's going to do at least as good, probably hopefully better, is what they're hoping to hear. And we want you to back that up <laughs> because we, <laughs> we came very nearly – very close to losing money, I think, is what they're thinking. So uh-huh. uh, I don't know. I've been talking a lot. So if you have anything more to say. Uh, not really. I mean I – I think it could be a good film. And so I'm looking forward to it if it happens. All right. I have a feeling this next subject I'm going to have to carry a little bit because you haven't seen any of the X-Men films unless you've rectified that since I last talked to you. The first two are sitting on my Blu-ray shelf. I'm looking at them right now. I just need to find the time to sit down and watch them. Tonight, you will watch the first one. I will do my best. You can't see me, Chad, but I'm waving my (laughs) hand as you would if you did the Jedi you will watch the first one tonight. Uh, I will watch the first one tonight. Okay, great. Perfect. <laughs> I, I'm glad you thought of that. <clears throat> so, um, yeah. So, the, uh, Hugh Jackman seems to think that we're going to enjoy this film quite as much as we did the first and second films, and maybe more. Uh, and, and so he says, I know, having sat at Comic-Con on that panel with that extraordinary cast, I keep saying it's like two movies in one, but with the size of it, it's really three in one. I, I, it really is going to blow people away because of the story. Brian Singer, I think, is going to become the first director to make increasingly better movies in a franchise. Uh, I, I would take dispute with that statement because I, there are films that are better as the franchise goes, but he's right yeah. in that it's rare. Right. Um. So, so that's that's the first bit of news coming from the X Men franchise, and and I am I am fairly excited because I know I've talked about this before. Uh, Brian Singer did the first two X-Men films, which were fantastic, and then he had to step away to do his flop, Superman Returns, uh, which I loved, but nobody else did. Uh, I, I just I just love Brian Singer films. Um, so uh-huh. uh, so he, he stepped away to do that flop, and the studio didn't wait for him to come back to do X3. They hired Brett Ratner, who destroyed the franchise completely and utterly and totally. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so I think the franchise is just now getting back on its feet. They've got Brian Singer back at the helm, and they're gonna, I think, even rectify some of the problems that Brett Ratner created with the uh, yeah. with with the thing. And I think I think there's gonna be an element of changing the timeline and stuff because the you know the X Men Days of Future Past. I mean, even teases what's going on here. <laughs> there's gonna be some yeah. time involved. Yeah, I mean, in that that teaser at the end of the Wolverine. Um, it even got me excited. I hadn't seen the first two X-Men films at that point. I well, I mean, I still haven't, but I can't believe you went and saw the Wolverine without having known anything about the X-Men franchise. We talked about it on the podcast. I had to, <laughs> I know, but, uh, you should have watched the films before you went and saw it. I mean, cause you had no appreciation for who the Wolverine was or where he's been or what he's done or, or, or why anything's happening. I, I don't know. I mean, I watched the X-Men origins Wolverine. I guess there is that, but I, I I don't think that's well representative of the franchise. I mean, it's fine. Yeah. I don't hate it like some people do, but it's it's not X Men, not not the way the first two films are. Yeah, well, so, I mean, it'll it'll be soon be rec- soon be rectified. Okay, just keep in mind that the first film is good, but the second film is the best in the series so far. Right. So, uh, anyway. 
Uh, and so the other bit of news here, really not not news, more of just a thing about X-Men, is that Ellen Page, who played Kitty Pride in the third film, she did not play Kitty Pride in the second film, although Kitty Pride's role in the second film was really sh- small and, and not very big. But uh, but she did play a pretty big role in the third film as uh, Kitty Pride, and she would love to have Joss Whedon come in and do a um, – uh, a film with about based on Kitty Pride or featuring Kitty Pride heavily, and she'd love to have Joss Whedon direct that. And you know, I could see that being a really good film. We, I mean, we all know that one of one of Joss Whedon's things is good, strong female characters, such as Buffy, uh-huh. just such as Buffy, um, or uh, um, you know, there was good, strong female characters in Firefly, for instance, which is a nerd favorite. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of one of Joss Whedon's things. So I could see that being a really good thing. Now, whether that would actually ever happen or not, I mean, I think this is more just the actor saying this is what I'd like to see. Yeah. And I mean, Whedon would be the guy to do it because he has expressed interest in female superhero films in the past. He he yeah. wanted to do a Wonder Woman film a few years back and it just fell through uh, because nobody else wanted to make it. And I think that's where the real problem is in getting something like this greenlit is that female superhero films don't typically do very well. Um, yeah. just because that's the way it is. Electra, uh, didn't do very well with, uh, Jennifer Garner, I think, and Catwoman with Halle Berry. It's just not a genre that makes a lot of money typically. Well, and you know, spoiler alert, uh, or, you know, whatever, maybe I'm a jerk, but I, I didn't see either of those films cause they just weren't, thank, frankly, they didn't have any interest to me. So oh, maybe, same here. maybe that's my bad, but, um, uh, seriously, Catwoman with Halle Berry. I just, that just sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the wrong casting choice, the wrong superhero, the wrong story. I mean, none of it sounds appealing to me. Oh, it's not. I, I've seen bits and pieces of it, and it's just sort of painful to watch. Yeah. Okay. Um, so speaking of superheroes, and that leads us kind of to Marvel and Ant-Man, which I know nothing about, but you put it in the show notes, so you the show outline, so you must be interested in, in this film. Yes, I am. I just wanted to sort of briefly mention it. Um, for those who don't know, Ant-Man was an original member of the Avengers in the comics. And I've so he's finally getting he's finally getting his own film. And uh, I've seen the test footage that Edgar Wright filmed a year or so ago, and it was really cool. You can probably find it on YouTube if you just do a quick search. Um, and I don't know, ho- hopefully it'll be pretty good. I don't know if it's going to tie into the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe or if it'll be more standalone or if it'll be geared toward Avengers 3. Uh, I don't know, but uh, it's scheduled for a release in summer 2015, along with every other film in the world. Every uh, every <laughs> film in the world is scheduled for at least in summer of 2015, because th- as I put in my in the in an article we're linking here in the show notes, because the summer of 2015 was not already crowded. Right. Not at all. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's strange because you have the Avengers 2 Age of Ultron coming out on May 1st of 2015. And then you have Ant-Man scheduled for July 31st, I believe. Of, uh, so within like a three month period, you've got two Marvel films coming out, which seems odd. I mean, I'm not complaining by any means, but uh, it, it is different. So I think I don't know if this is the right thing or not, but I found something on YouTube. I'm going to risk it from let's see it says Marvel Ant-Man footage. Hey guys, I'm Charles Manson. Now, some of the next... Eh, blah, 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 blah. Hang on, let me skip forward. Here is that Ant-Man has the ability to change sizes, and uh, well, that's pretty much it. He also can control ants, but... Uh, I think I've seen like, this, actually. So he and just shifted sizes and is running across okay, the gun, went into yeah. somebody's mouth. Is that it? That's yeah, the one? I, okay. I, 
Yeah, I shared it on the podcast several episodes ago. One of my first episodes. That may be where I've seen it. Then I, I'm, I forgive me. I've already forgotten about it. I'll put that in the show That's notes fine. again uh, in case anybody wants to uh, see that. So that'll be in the show notes as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. The whole concept kind of sounds weird to me. But then when you think about it, I mean, I think it's really just what you're conditioned for because superheroes in general sound kind of weird if you think about it. Yeah. Um. So so maybe maybe there's something there, and I'll, I'll give it a try for sure. Definitely. So Pirates 5 is delayed because of the Lone Ranger flop. Uh, well, I, and I put that in parentheses, because of the Lone Ranger flop. Um. It, <laughs> Boy, what what, what, what what can you say about this? I, I, I mean, are people really so excited for Pirates of the Caribbean films? No, I, and I I would think that like this is the last film they should be trying to make right now. Uh, yeah, and and I think you know, and it has been delayed. So, and I think this is I do think this is directly connected to Jerry Bruckheimer's flop of the Lone Ranger, which frankly I really don't understand why the Lone Ranger flopped so poor so badly. Why it did so I poorly? I, I don't quite get it. Yeah, you and I both liked it well enough, so I uh, I guess we were sort of in contrasting opinion to the rest of the world for some reason. But. I guess. I think most of the world, I don't think they have like or dislike for it. They're just kind of like, meh. And I think maybe that's because there's so many films now coming out, and especially so many um, – and I think maybe Johnny Depp is a little bit weary, kind of on the crowd, like they're kind of tired of him or something. I don't know. And so that doesn't spell good news for a Pirates 5 film either if that's yeah, if that's what's going on. Right. Um, so I, I feel kind of ambivalent about this information because delayed indicates that it is still going to be moving forward at some point, and I'm not convinced that I want a Pirates 5. Pirates 4 was the worst thing that ever happened to the Pirates franchise, <laughs> uh, with, with the exception of Uncle Vernon as the king. Uh, what was what was that actor's name who recently Richard died? Griffiths. Richard Griffiths. He was great, uh, <laughs> but um, and it's sad that he passed away now, but... Um, I, I really can't think of a reason why I would want another pirate film, especially because I don't think they're going to be bringing uh, two of the cast back that I really think are part of the triangle that really make pirates work. And right. and, and, and they seem to have it in their heads that Pirates of the Caribbean is about Jack Sparrow. But it's not just about Jack Sparrow. It's about Jack Sparrow and Will Turner and uh, Elizabeth um, – what's her name? Swan. Swan. Elizabeth Swan. Those are the three that, that those films are about. And when you take away two of those of the trifecta – is that the right word? Yeah, <laughs> the, close um, enough. Anyway, when you take away two of those pillars, you don't have a film to make as far as I'm concerned. And I think that's why Pirates 4 was so bad or one of the reasons. Yeah, I think that both Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley realized that they, they didn't want to be making these films anymore. <laughs> yeah, And probably. apparently for a good reason. And so – I guess I don't. I don't know. Like, what have you? What have you seen from Orlando Bloom or heard? Have heard? Of, have you heard of him at all in anything except for the upcoming Hobbit film? I mean, what has he done? Um, I don't know what he's been doing the past couple of years. Right. So it seems to me like if if they had offered it to him, he should. I don't know whether they did or not for Pirates Four, but he should have said yes because <laughs> what's he been doing? I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. Anyway, I really couldn't care less about Pirates Five. Uh, well, I I mean, I actually I could care less uh, because I care about it to some extent, but. You know what I mean. Right. Here's the exciting news, though. Here's yes. the exciting news. Uh, Warner Brothers has announced a Harry Potter spinoff series, but this is the exciting part. The script will be written by J.K. Rowling. Woo. Okay. Now, here's where things get interesting, though. We will not be seeing Harry Potter or Hermione Granger or Ron uh, Weasley or Jenny Weasley uh, or Luna Lovegood or any of our beloved characters in this film series. 
So I was I was really super excited when I saw this headline uh, over at Hypable was where I first saw it. Andrew Sims, who used to do the Muggle cast, does he still do that? Um, they actually just released their final episode like a week and a half or so ago, and then they announced this and they recorded an emergency next episode. So <laughs> right. it's back so, temporarily. Uh, yeah, well, I would assume, given this news, actually, they're probably going to bring it back perma- on a permanent yeah, basis. Probably. But we'll see. And I never got to listen to it much. I know my wife is really into it. But okay, it's so great. anyway, I saw the announcement on Hypable from Andrew Sims. And uh, my first, like, for 10 minutes, I was just jumping up and down with jubilation. I mean, my coworkers <laughs> were, like, looking over at me and giving me strange looks. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but no, it really, it really was like, holy cow, more Harry Potter. This is exactly what I wanted. And then I continued reading, like, oh, uh, this series is based on in the world of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. The Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them movie will be, ori- be an original story and will mark Rowling's screenwriting debut. It is planned as the first picture in a new film series. I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't know. How do you feel about this? I'm pretty darn excited. I actually own the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and have since probably fifth grade. Um, and I remember reading it as a kid. And uh, I've always been a big Harry Potter fan like you have. And um, it's, I don't know, I'm really excited. I'm especially excited because Rowling is writing. And I read earlier today on Hypable uh, that... J.K. Rowling's got complete control over the script, um, so that's exciting. And I don't know it, it. There's lots of potential to for this to be pretty exciting and creative. And I, I maybe J.K. Rowling this this might jumpstart a little bit of a screenwriting career on the side for her. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, well, I mean, I've always said if she had been the screenwriter for the original films. It would have been so much better. I mean, especially since she wrote the books, and I like the books far better than the films. I mean, okay, I understand and I realize that you cannot translate a book directly to the film. I get that. But some of the things that they did with the movies are just so downright frustrating. And and you could tell, as good as David Yates did, he he brought the franchise back from the brink of destruction as far as I'm concerned. Um, uh-huh. but I, I think that as, as good as he did, even he missed some serious, had some serious blunders. Like he really, like the whole final battle scene between Harry and Voldemort. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, he really missed what that was about. He really didn't get it. He did not understand anything <laughs> about the end of the series. And it's just so frustrating because that's so important to the series. Right. So, so my point is having JK Rowling more directly involved in this thing is, is certainly a good thing. Now, what I wanted, I don't know about you, and I, I don't even know that this is possible. I don't know that there's any good stories to tell, but what I wanted is something with more Harry and Ron and Hermione and Ginny, because I like Ginny, um, uh-huh. and I wish she was in the books more. And so that's what I, I want more of those four, but we're not getting that. So I'm like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think this, I don't know. I I don't think I wanted more Harry stories as much as i love harry and i love his friends i think his story was told i can't imagine there being anything super exciting after the fall of voldemort um and so i'm I'm glad that they're moving on from that but the fact that this takes place in the same universe and it's jk rowling's baby um i'm really excited for that and you know the best book to film movies i've ever seen are the ones that have the author as a screenwriter like holes and the hunger games for that matter um yeah yeah, for and sure. So I'm really glad that Rowling is writing. I yeah. don't think this would have as much hope if Rowling wasn't writing. No, I, I mean I agree, and and I think that that's that's I'm still excited for it because Rowling is going to be doing the screenwriting for this thing. 
Um, but because of the reasons I've, I've mentioned, it's like, oh, it, oh, well, the other thing is, like, you realize because it's set in the world of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, it is by nature a prequel. And I'm so sick of prequels. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a prequel, but it's not like it's a story leading up to the original films or the original books. Yeah, it's not a direct prequel, direct lead in, you might say. It's, it's not like yeah. we're telling the story of Grindelwald and Dumbledore or something. Right. I mean, it's just, it's a story in the same universe, but it's different characters and a different time. And so, I mean, if you want to say it's a prequel, quote unquote, in the sense that it takes place before, then sure. But it's not a lead up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. And and here's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm definitely going to be in theaters to see what they're doing and what's going on. And I kind of expect them to – tell me if you th- think something different. But I expect the film – to be like told from the perspective of um, uh, Newt Scamander, who wrote Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, I expect him to be like telling it to his grandchildren in the present day or something like that. What do you think? I think so too, and that raises an interesting question because one of I think it's Newt Scamander's grandchild. Uh, somebody out there, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, grandchild who actually marries Luna in the books like that's been confirmed by jk rowling yeah, yeah. so in there fact, is in the this article, tentative attachment in the article that i linked which I'm, I'm looking right now i think it's in this article uh and and this is the interesting thing too okay let me let me find it, I, it I've, I've got it here um i feel very protective of it and i already knew a lot about newt as a hardcore harry potter as the hardcore harry potter fans will note i liked him so much that i even married his grandson rolf to one of my favorite characters from the harry potter series luna lovegood now that's not what happened in the movies that see and no. like if they're doing the movie continuity she like the indication was that she was gonna hook up with uh um, neville. neville longbottom and so that's going to be an interesting continuity problem. And I, I, my wife was so frustrated about that too because she's like, at the end of the movie, she's like, I don't understand. She, did, Luna does not marry Neville. What do they think they're doing? <laughs> and and it's like, yeah, I mean, I agree. And and you know, Luna is one of my favorite characters too. I mean, she's great. Oh, she um, is great. And uh, so that'll be interesting to see what she does because she's got. To, I think that they would have to stick with the movie continuity. Uh, if we have any, uh, if we have any listeners left, um, <laughs> we should move on from the Harry Potter thing. I guess but, so. But, yeah, uh, I know you and I could both talk about this forever. Oh, yes. We should do our own muggle, muggle cast. Um, oh, yeah. But there, there is a gif that accurately sums up how I feel about this. And uh, that gif is attached to the article, which I will link up in the show notes. Hey, we do have a couple of listeners in the chat room now, so I'll put it in there, too. Um, but this, this gif, I, I never can remember this actor's name, but he's been in a few things that I've, you know, watched and he's been in Firefly and stuff, but it's a close up of him and it says, let me tell you about my feels. And then it zooms <laughs> out and he unrolls this scroll of, of parchment, you know, that's just really long. <laughs> so that's like yeah. this, I could talk about this all day and never get to the bottom of how I feel really about it. So we should move on. <laughs> I guess if we have to. So now you put into the show outline um, that the Mortal Instruments City of Ashes is delayed. And uh, to me, I mean, the uh, the translation here of – okay, so let me just read this real quick. Constantine Film announced on Tuesday that principal photography on the sequel, which was already in production with Sigourney Weaver attached to join the cast, has been delayed. A statement from the produ- production company states that it will use the time to analyze the results to date and pre- reposition the franchise in order to maximize results for future installments. So I wanted to translate that little bit of PR speak. <laughs> Translation, we have no idea what went wrong with the first film, and it was very costly, and we can't afford another mistake like that. <laughs> right. We had a bad film, and 
I'm not sure we want to make the second one. They shouldn't make the second one because no. the first one wasn't very good. The first one was terrible. And the only way I'd be interested in a second is if they remade the first one into a good story. <laughs> and that's not that's not ever going to happen. No, of course um, not. So uh, speaking to, with THR at a press day uh, for the film in August, Zwart said that he was very excited about the script for City of Ashes, adding it's going to be even more complex and scary than the first one. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, complexity is not what the next film needs. The next no. film needs a little bit simpler and easier to understand plot and one that makes sense. Um, it needs quality is what it needs. A. And this one didn't have it. Yeah. A in the chat room. Somebody who just has the letter A for their name says translation abort mission. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly. I, I don't think this film is going to get made. I mean, to date, uh, the worldwide, I'm talking about the worldwide total foreign and everything for uh, the Mortal Instrument City of Bones is $37.3 million. They spent $60 million making that piece of garbage. <laughs> so, um, yeah. don't I don't think that's going to get made. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, so, leading directly kind of to that. Unless you... Did you have anything more you wanted to add about that? No, I just thought it was worth mentioning since we talked about it on the podcast. Well, here's here's a facepalm moment uh, from Disney CFO wants to spend less on original films. That uh, makes no sense. It, no sense whatsoever. None. Okay. No, I mean, th- it, you meant, in the article, he said something about risk management. And I, I just wrote in my notes, excuse you, you had a movie reach a billion dollars at the box office last year. Uh, yeah. The Avengers. Yeah. And the solution isn't to cut funding on original films. It's to stop giving Jerry Bruckheimer all the money he wants. Yeah, well, that's true. His, his last couple of budgets for the last couple of his films have been terribly inflated. I completely yeah. agree with that. Um, and and, and here, here's why I, – I, this is what I wrote. Wrong conclusion. I don't think – I don't quite get why The Lone Ranger flopped – um, it's, but it's clear to me the answer is not to make more and more franchise derivative films. If anything, I would have thought the Lone Ranger showed just the opposite. While I found it enjoyable enough, certainly more than most critics or audience members did, the Lone Ranger was, if anything, a very derivative work. The idea of dumping more money into franchise films and other derivative work will be the key to making a good return on investment is laughable at best. And, and, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like we have this glut now of franchise films. As, as big as I am into franchise films, I love the Avengers, and and I and I love um and that, and, and that's I was going to quibble with you over that. I, I don't. I wouldn't call the Avengers an original film. It was part of a franchise. But um, I, I love the Avengers and I love these franchise films. But I feel like we need. Okay, I like balance. Balance is a good thing in any part of life, right? Like balance uh-huh. is always good. You need to balance how much time you sleep with how much time you spend awake. You need to balance how much you eat with how much you work out. You need to balance how much you work with how much you spend time with your family and how much you play. And and you got to have balance in life. Right now, the scales of balance for uh, filmmaking is tipped to the franchise films so so hard that we're not seeing that many original films. And right. like. I want to see a better balance. I want to see a lot of new creativity coming out of Hollywood. And we're just, we're seeing a lack of it. We're seeing a serious lack of it. Yeah. And I should clarify, I wasn't calling the Avengers original. I was saying it made Disney a lot of money and they shouldn't worry about what they're spending on original films. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I I do understand you have to do what makes money as a, as a company, but I just think that they're looking at everything all wrong. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it was kind of a facepalm moment for me. You know, facepalm.gif. Uh-huh. <laughs> Same here. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we should we should keep this thing moving because we still have a film that we want to talk about. And you put a lot of things in the in the in the notes. Sorry. 
Yeah, no, that's okay. I mean, I used to I used to put a lot more in the notes too, and I just realized, man, it makes for a long podcast. Uh, Star Wars spinoff films will be origin stories, according to Jermaine Lucier over at Slash Film. Fans have spent so much time focusing on what's going to happen with J.J. Abrams' Star Wars Episode Seven. We've all but ignored the 2016 Star Wars film. Not Episode Seven, mind you. They'll likely be in 2017. In 2016, we'll get a Star Wars spinoff movie written and produced by either Lawrence Kasdan uh, or Simon Kin- Kinberg. I'm so bad with names. Each writer <laughs> is working on a film that will focus on a specific Star Wars character. Uh, we've known these spinoff movies are meant to be related, bet- uh, released between episodes of the new trilogy. Possible characters rumored for these films are Yoda, Han Solo, and Boba Fett. Um, all right, so let's think about this. The characters here that that were being rumored: uh, Boba Fett, Yoda, and Han Solo. Um, obviously, Han is the he, he would be like the only possible choice if you wanted to do something like after the 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 six films that we currently have because Yoda uh-huh. he died during Return of the Jedi so we can't go after that uh, as did Boba Fett although somebody argued with me in the comments about how he uh, in the books he actually blew up the Sarlacc and and got out it's, it's stupid <laughs> just you know this is the movies not the books um, so they can do whatever they want uh, and so okay so so I don't know how do you feel about this idea. I think it could work. I mean, I'm all for more Star Wars as long as they're done well. And especially if Lawrence Kasdan is writing one of the screenplays. Uh, he wrote the screenplays for uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and uh, he worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark as well. And so if he's in and he's writing these, then sure, I'm all for it. I'm- I'd, I'd forgotten that he did uh, Empire Strikes Back, so my faith in whatever's going on just skyrocketed. Yes, and I mean, I'm not so keen on the other guy, the Simon Kinberg, I believe. Um, What's he done? He... he not as great things. Um, <laughs> That's helpful. I, I looked it up earlier and I didn't write down the notes, um, but they, they weren't films that were particularly good. Um, okay. Well, he's a producer on X-Men Days of Future Past. He was a producer on Elysium. Uh, he's a producer on X-Men First Class. Let's see. Writer. The Last Stand. Uh, Sherlock Holmes. He wrote the screenplay. I loved Sherlock Holmes. Oh, me too. Uh, he did write I, Last Stand. I won't hold. I try not to hold that against him, but ew. <laughs> he wrote the screenplay for Mister and Mrs. Smith, which was not great. Yeah, he's he's got a few duds here. Yeah. And and in the chat room, uh, A has a good point. They can't be worse than the prequels. Uh, I would actually beg to differ with that. Never say it can't get worse, but I know <laughs> what you mean. And and yeah, I it probably that, that like certainly it can't be as bad as Episode One, right? <laughs> and I, you know, I. I Yes, and to some degree, there were they were all varying degrees of terribleness. But uh, the franchise was back on an upward swing after the first terrible episode one installment. Episode two was better. Episode three was a little better. Obviously, it never rose to the level that that Star Wars had been. So I don't know. Uh-huh. I, I think my my uh, uh, my hesitancy here is that we've already done prequels and they were bad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, fair. Yeah. Fair so point. yeah. Uh, one thing is clear though. You ready for this? We need a Jar Jar Binks origin story. Oh, I am <laughs> total agreement with you. <laughs> uh, good joke. Yes, good joke. I, I thought so. I'm patting myself on the back right now. You, you can't hear me, but that's that's what I'm doing. Okay, come Wait, on. I mean, who's Jar Jar Binks? Yeah, you are stupid. <laughs> okay. Um. Hunger Games Catching Fire predicted to reach 950 million. Uh, it seems kind of like we're ca- counting our chickens before they before the eggs hatch, but I don't know. What, what do you, uh, I don't, how do 
they come up with these numbers before a film actually comes? I don't know. You think I, I should? You think I'd know more about this being a, a big film guy? But yeah, I mean, I'm excited for the film, but it, it just like word around not around the grapevine, but uh, it doesn't seem like the buzz or the hype for this film is as high as it was for the first film. And it's maybe just because it's a sequel. I don't know. Uh, I'm seeing a lot but, about it though. I don't know. Oh, I, I'm definitely excited and I have high hopes for it, but I'm just not hearing as much about it. Wasn't it, am I thinking right? Wasn't it up for an Oscar? The first one? Yeah. Didn't it, um, didn't it make the list? I mean, I know it didn't win, but or anything. It might've been for, it might've been for one of the, um, artistic ones but it wasn't for any acting awards or screenplay or anything hmm. maybe i'm the hunger games uh well of course jennifer lawrence got an oscar okay so this says hunger games nominated for nothing okay i guess i'm mis- <laughs> misremembering that that's too bad because it was pretty good uh yeah. I, the first film was great um i did have some minor quibbles with it uh but I, overall great film i love the books uh for the most part so yeah, I mean, and I'm looking forward to this film a lot, and and I hope it'll be at least as good. I expect it actually to be better. I expect the new director to rectify some of the problems I had, which I which I saw as directorial issues, such uh-huh. as such as like the entire film was done in such a shaky cam style, like that made sense once you got into the arena and stuff, but it didn't make any sense before that, and it was just frustrating, and I just felt dizzy and sick at first, you know. Yeah. So th- th- those little sorts of things were very directorial issues. Um, Film has a great score. You're 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 a film score guy. Film has a great score. It does. I love James Newton Howard, and I think his score for that is actually pretty uh, underestimated. There's lots of people who had problems with it because it wasn't as big and grand and epic as it was. But it wasn't a big and grand and epic film necessarily. No, it called I, for a quieter score, and I loved it. Right, and and I've said this a lot before too. Like what the the choices made, not only in the type of music and how to set the tone, but when not to score, when to score, how much to score. All those really make up the flavor of the movie, and he did a really great job. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> yeah, and I agree with a in the chat room. Everyone liked the Bourne movies said the idiot in charge of cinematography. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, I agree. Like I like the Bourne films, but the cinematography kind of went off the rails in the, in the second and third. Well, mostly the second one. One more, one more thing before we talk about the way, way back. And that is, uh, Julianne Moore is confirmed for the hunger games. Since we're talking about the hunger games, uh, she is confirmed to play president coin. And I can't think of anything. I know I've seen her in a few things. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but she seems from what I know of her to be a perfect choice for that role. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I haven't seen her in anything that I recognized in her filmography, but, uh, uh, she looks the part from what I do know of her. She seems like she fits the part. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I I don't have more to say about that except that she's been cast. So, um, yeah, Somebody was saying – I saw somebody saying somewhere they they thought President Coyne didn't come in until the third film I – th- third book. I thought we did meet her in the second book, but I could be mistaken. I, I don't remember. It all kind of runs together. I listened to them all on audiobook back-to-back, so um, – yeah. uh, I don't know. I think she might – it might have not been until the third book. Yeah, I but felt I, like I we met her at the end of the second, but – It might have been. That's yeah. a good possibility. Yeah. All right. Shall we talk about the way, way back? Let's. Okay, so The Way Way Back, it came to theaters on July 26, 2013. It had a budget of $4.6 million. That's pretty low. It opened at $3.5 million and has grossed $21 million worldwide. So they've, they've made a good bit of money back on that. 
And uh, the critical acclaim from Rotten Tomatoes says that despite its familiar themes, The Way Way Back makes use of its talented cast, finely tuned script, and an abundance of charm to deliver a funny and satisfying coming-of-age story. It was directed by... Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, is that correct? Or did you? Yes. Huh, okay. Uh, written by the same, and it stars Liam James, Steve Carell, Tony Collet, Colette, Allison Janey, Anna Sophia Robb, Sam Rockwell, Maya Rudolph, Rob Cordroy, uh, Amanda Peet, Jim Rash, and Nat Faxon. Music by Rob Simonson. I can't really can't remember much about the music, to tell you the truth. It's pretty good. So the story here is The Way Way Back is the funny and poignant coming-of-age story of the 14-year-old uh, Duncan's summer vacation with his mother, Pam, her overbearing boyfriend, Trent, and his daughter, Steph. Having a rough time fitting in, the introverted Duncan finds an unexpected friend in Gregarious Owen, uh, Owen uh, played by Sam Rockwell, manager of the Waterwiz Park. Through his funny clandestine, uh, clandestine friendship with Owen, Duncan slowly opens up to and begins to finally find his place in the world, all during a summer he will never forget. Chad, you really, really like this film, don't you? I love this film, and I was sad I couldn't see it again this weekend in anticipation of the podcast because the theater stopped showing it. Okay, yeah. I I had a uh, an experience trying to see this film. It was actually in the theater that I normally go to Right up until the day that I needed to see it, which was this, like like they they showed it all till Thursday, and then I was going to see it on Saturday actually, but they stopped showing it on uh-huh. Friday, and that was the end of its run there at the theater in Franklin. So yeah, it was frustrating. I thought at first I wasn't going to get to see it, so then I started looking around and I found out oh oh it's playing over in uh, McEwen, um not not McEwen Waverly, uh which if you you probably even if you're familiar with Tennessee's geography you probably have no idea where that's at and there's a good reason for that. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, it's about, uh, 55 minutes from where I live and, uh, it's a little theater. They have one auditorium and they, they play like one movie for a couple weeks and they'll switch to another one. And they were alternating between a few. And this week it was the way, way back. So I drove 55 minutes out to see a nine o'clock showing, uh, 9 PM. And I got there and nobody else is there. And he said <laughs> that he was the, the, the guy in charge said he was not going to run it for just one person. <laughs> I was so mad. I'm like, seriously, does it really cost you more than I would pay to run that projector? I mean, seriously, come on. I don't know if like he just wanted to go home or whatever the deal was. (laughs) So he said, well, but if you want to hang, I mean, because, you know, I obviously was there early and he said, if you want to hang out and see if anybody else shows up. And so somebody did. And there was, he said, okay, I'll run it. And so then I pulled out my debit card because I don't, look, it's 2013. I don't carry cash. Do you carry cash? I don't carry cash. (laughs) And, and And he's like, oh, we don't take credit cards. Like, great. So I, I stormed out. I was going to leave and I realized I'd driven 55 minutes. So I rushed over to an ATM and spent 350 on a not an ATM that was not owned by my bank to get to pull out a $20 bill and to go back over and to get my ticket. So that was a little frustrating. But so even going into it with, with that terrible experience, I, I quickly I quickly settled in and really enjoyed the film. Good. Yay. I hadn't heard how you liked it, so I'm glad to hear you liked I it. I liked it. I did like it. I, I think that this film uh, probably has a little more appeal uh, to to people who maybe were a little more like the – like I think all of us, though, uh, can kind of relate to the kid, uh, uh, Duncan, uh, to some uh-huh. extent. I mean, I don't know. I remember being – going through that awkward, uh, you know, not comfortable in my own skin stage for sure. Uh-huh. Um. But I don't think it was necessarily to that degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is actually a kid who was more awkward than I was in middle school. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I always consider myself a pretty awkward 14 year old, like didn't know what to do with myself. I, you know, I, you know, if there was any girls around at all, I would just completely clam up and, and, and not talk to anybody. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that, so I mean, it certainly was a, some, to some extent I, I could certainly identify, but th- this kid was extremely awkward and it was just, you know, I mean, I think the genre here is comedy, but I think there's actually a good element of drama to it, you know? Yeah, that's what I said in my review is that this is it is categorized as a uh, comedy, which are typically films that I don't like going to see. But this is it's it works more as a drama with elements of comedy sprinkled in. And I loved that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing, too, though, that I think the the perspective that I was missing that I could see that you would definitely like if if you would come from this series and, and from this uh from this background i think a lot of of uh a lot more and more in the united states uh and it, it's kind of a sad thing but we're seeing you know more and more kids coming from broken homes and i think you you definitely get that i mean like part of the reason duncan is the way he is is because the family that he's been a part of is so messed up right. and and i i think that that probably resonates like you know thankfully i i haven't had that experience my my mom and dad, before my mom passed away, they were married for 32 years. I believe that's right. I think it was 30. It was right after the anniversary we had just celebrated. Um, so, and, and I, I didn't experience that, but I can, you know, it's such a common occurrence now that I think that this probably resonates with a lot of people in a lot of ways on many levels. Definitely. So, and, and, it, you know, you made an interesting point in your review about, uh, you've never seen Steve Carell in a role like this. And I hadn't either like this. There was no humor in the role that no. he was playing. He was playing a complete and utter jerk of a man who did not, he, all, all he cared about was he himself and him and, and, uh, you know, what he could get out of anybody around him. Uh, right. and, and that includes cheating on his, uh, then his girlfriend, you know, to, to get a little of what he wanted from somebody else. So, uh-huh. you know, definitely a different character than I've ever seen Steve Carell play. Yeah. And I think that's part of what fascinates, uh, part of what fascinates me so much in this movie is that, uh, Steve Carell is playing something so polar opposite from everything I've ever seen him in ever. Um, and it, it was refreshing in a way, even though he wasn't playing a nice character, it was refreshing to see him sort of branch out and play something different and allow somebody else to take the stage as the funny guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and speaking of the funny guy, I mean, Sam Rockwell blew it away. Just he did. Totally. He is by far the best part of the film. Um, even on my third viewing, I was laughing at the same jokes just as hard, probably even harder. Um, yeah, he, he's just so funny in the entire film. Definitely, and you know, he, uh, I, I, I liked him from the first time I saw him in uh, Galaxy Quest. Did have you seen Galaxy Quest? I haven't. You what? I, I have not seen <laughs> Galaxy Quest. <laughs> you are a conversation stopper, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you, you go ahead. Uh, he was he was hilarious in Galaxy Quest. That's I mean that's all I really have to say. He was the guy uh, who was supposed to be the stand-in for the red shirts of Star Trek. Uh, you know, he was the one that was uh-huh. the extra, and he was gonna die. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. <laughs> I thought I was the one who died on that planet, but I'm gonna die on this planet. I don't want to die. <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, that that was him, and he was also in the second Iron Man film. Yes, he was. Yeah. So, and th- this one you, you actually have seen, right? <laughs> I have. I have seen Iron Man 2. Un- I mean, unfortunately, I've seen Iron Man 2. But, okay. uh, by the way, he, af- he, he's like likable enough. Yeah. No, he was great. After you watch X Men, you must watch Galaxy Quest. Okay. Have you seen any I'm- Star Trek? 
I've seen some. Okay. This then okay, then you will probably and you know what you understand what the term red shirt means, right? Yes, I do. Okay, I think you have enough uh, uh understanding of Star Trek to really appreciate Galaxy Quest. Um uh-huh. yeah, that it's a really great film. Really great, really great. Can't recommend it highly enough. Okay. Uh so um yeah, I mean there's a lot to like about the way way back. Um and I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast uh just there there was one experience that I did have as a kid uh that I identified with right away and that was riding in the back of that station wagon. Although right. <laughs> the one that I was riding in the back of wasn't quite that old, but <laughs> it was uh-huh. awesome. <laughs> Uh, and, and, uh, well, I think it's Brian Regan, uh, one of my favorite comedians who makes a joke about, uh, the, the vacation in the station wagon and that those kids have a completely different vacation than the rest of the family. <laughs> you try got a to, different view. Yeah. You try not to make eye contact with the cars behind you and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um, let's see what, uh, tell us a little bit. Like I said, I have not, I did not have the time to make any notes about this film. So tell us, why don't you continue helping jumpstart this conversation here? What, what else did you like about the film? Okay. Aside from Sam Rockwell being hysterical, uh, Liam James plays Duncan. And as we already mentioned, his character is so fantastically awkward and he plays it very, very well. But even despite the awkwardness, he's got this, very strong inherent likability. And so from the very get go of the film, you feel for him, uh, or at least I did. And definitely, uh, yeah, he's just a really easy character to connect to, whether you were that awkward as a child or not. And, uh, well, the, I mean, the way, yeah, I mean, there was even a little bit, I fully admit there was a little bit of audience manipulation going on there, which is fine. I, mean, I don't, you know, people talk about that in a bad light. I don't think that's necessarily bad. Like the very first thing that happens is, you know, Steve Carell, you see him looking in the mirror saying, how, how do you feel about yourself? He's looking in the rearview mirror and everybody else in the car is asleep. And so he's talking to this kid and he says, how, how is it that you, how do you feel about yourself? If you had to rate yourself on a scale of one to 10. And, you know, and you're not quite sure where this is going. And you're like thinking, well, oh, he's probably getting ready to encourage him in some way. And then so he uh-huh. and, and Lee, uh, Duncan would not answer, and and then finally he says like I I don't know maybe a six and and uh, and the, and Steve Carell uh, goes you're a three if I would rate you at a three and you're sitting and you're just like I'm I'm gonna reach to that screen I'm gonna punch him right in his stupid <laughs> little nose. <laughs> you know the first time I watched it or whether it was in the trailer or the first time watching the film I took that scene a little bit differently the first time I. I was like, well, well, that's a pretty low rating. But if the first time it felt like an almost genuine attempt to try and get Duncan to improve his life, to really take advantage of this summer vacation. And the the way he called him buddy all the time. Uh, um, well, I, I wanted endearing. to kill him for that. Yeah, it almost felt endearing at first, though, I, I, I thought. And then I, as the, the film progressed, he just becomes nastier and nastier. And it was just this fantastic transformation through the course of the film of uh, Carell from like this mild mannered kind of, he's an okay guy. He, he He's not a terrible person, but then by the end of the film, you really hate him. I don't know if I maybe I've read too many books or not. And I think I've even actually seen this play out a little bit in real life, although it tends to be a caricature in films and books like this. But I did not get that at all ever at any point from the Corral character. I mean, from, from the, from the very time he said, I would, I would rate you a three. I knew this guy was up to no good. And he was just, <laughs> it was all about him. I really loved what, what, uh, Sam Rockwell's character, what was his name? Um, Owen. I really loved Owen. what, what he said. Uh, it's, it's toward the end of the film when, uh, when Duncan tells him, like, you know, everything that, that, kind of lets him in a little bit more on what's going on in his personal life with, 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 uh, Steve Carell's character. 
And uh, he says, "That's you, Duncan, that's his problem. That's about him. That's not about you. Right. That's about him. And I'm sitting here going, yes, that's absolutely right. Uh-huh. That was that uh-huh. was about him, not about Duncan. <laughs> and you know, that that is what was great about Sam Rockwell's characters. He did really have those sort of uh, more soft-spoken, poignant moments where he was able to get really sincere and uh, really sort of touch you. Yeah, and I think that maybe a lot of people might even have missed this. I, I think you may have mentioned it in your review, though, so I don't think you missed it. But I think people – it's easy to overlook. This movie was just as much about Owen and his coming of age at a, yeah. at a kind of a late date, at kind of a coming of age late, as it was about Duncan. I mean it was primarily about Duncan, but Owen certainly was learning how to become an adult too. Right, and it, it's it's really fascinating because you have Duncan who's very introverted, and you have Owen who's very extroverted, and they're both working toward the same goal by the end of the film, where yeah. they're both trying to sort of grow up and grow down to where they, they need to be and what's socially acceptable. And it, it's really cool that they sort of meet in the middle like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I thought that the beginning and the ending, the circular nature of the whole film worked really well. The way that the way it ended wasn't something I necessarily saw coming um, where he, they just sort of pack up and leave. They're leaving together um, despite the cheating and all that. And I was ends, so frustrated it, with the mother, too, about that. Yeah. It, you know, it, it reminded me a lot of Secondhand Lions. Um, mm, I hated if, that. If you've ever seen that. I've hated that. Oh, you hated that it. film? Yeah. Oh, well, then I won't talk about it too much, but there's it's care. got a similar sort of ending um, where despite abuse, the mother leaves with the abusive person. And um, the way the film opens with Duncan riding in the backseat by himself, and then it ends with him uh, riding in the backseat by himself, but then his mother climbs back and joins him. It, it's just, it's really, it re- communicated pretty strongly that Duncan's not the only one on his side anymore. He's not the only one in his corner. Um, he's broken away from that side of himself and he's got people rooting for him yeah yeah i mean yeah i get what you're saying although i i couldn't get over the fact that mom was was sticking with this guy and i'm sitting here going oh, come on and, and i mean i, I suppose it's true to life because you you do see it like and you know of circumstances i certainly know of circumstances where you're like and, and look I, I, I don't believe in divorce. Like, I'm not an advocate of it, but I do believe that <laughs> come, right. if, if you're in an abusive relationship, uh, you know, and well, and the other, the other problem, I mean, I'm talking about not believing in divorce. They weren't even married. It was a boyfriend-girlfriend situation. But still, it's like, come on. Don't you see what's going on here? This is all about him. You need to get away from that situation. Right. And I mean, I'd like to think that as soon as they got back home uh, from that trip that she decided uh, to leave. Um, it's it's almost sort of implied by the way she climbs back with her son, but yeah, uh, I suppose we'll see. I suppose I don't know. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I really have to mention, uh, I've already talked about a lot of what I liked, uh, was the score. The score was really great by Rob, Rob Simonson. Um, I bought it, and like I often do with film soundtracks, and I really enjoy it. But then the soundtrack for this film I thought was really good. Uh, the, the pop music soundtrack. Uh, it's the only time I've ever purchased a pop music soundtrack. And it was it's great. So yeah. when you watch the movie, the music's pretty good. I don't don't remember being like overly impressed with the soundtrack, but I mean it fit what it was, but it was a very much of a pop soundtrack, and that just never really thrills me, and I certainly am not going to go buy it. But, you know, you're the soundtrack yeah. guy. You review soundtracks, so. I do. Um, 
Yeah, it just seems like there's so much more we could we could say about this film. I mean, this, the whole um, the whole vibe, you know, like the parents are off partying while the kids are the ones that have to have they're forced to kind of grow up and be yeah. <laughs> responsible while the parents are out partying and and doing drugs and so like <laughs> it's a yeah. What was it that Anna Sophia uh, Robb said? Uh, she this, said it's like spring break for adults. Yes, yes, that's the one. <laughs> uh-huh. so. And uh, uh, the movie had a really good message about. Um, accepting who you are and being who you are and also uh, turning that around, accepting who others are. Uh, you have Anna Sophia Robb's character at the start of the film. He, she She's just as uh, sort of disdainful as of Duncan as uh, everybody else is. She sort of just dismisses him. But, mm, uh, I, I never actually well, got that. Well, there was that first scene when uh, he, they're out on the porch and he talks about the weather and it's a hot summer and she sort of just like Okay, that was weird. I'll maybe never talk to you again. <laughs> but uh, she she t- she comes around and sees him for who he is, and uh, they have a really great time together. Yeah, you know, I, I guess one of the things I really enjoyed about this film too is I'm I enjoy a good uh, action film as much as the next guy. I like to go see the Avengers, and I like to go see Iron Man, and. And I, I like some big explosions if they're if they're surrounded by good story and stuff. But this film didn't need any of that. It it, it just it had a story to tell, and so it told the story. And I, and I really really appreciated that about the film. Yeah, definitely. Did you have anything you didn't like about the film? I have one very very minor complaint, and it's not something that lasted. But the first time I watched, there were a few characters that felt a little forced at the very beginning of the film, uh, like Allison Janney's character and. Um, maybe Trent's daughter Steph. They, they they just felt like they were trying too hard at first, but it went away quickly as I learned a little bit more about the characters and they sort of fell into the pace of the movie. And then after that, the second two times I saw the film, I didn't feel the same way. Um, but that first time it was just, uh, they're trying a little bit too hard to convince me of something. Yeah, I, I definitely got that sense, and that, that was one of the things I was going to say, is that it really felt like they over-caricaturized some things. They really pushed the boundary of believability on just, like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't see the everyday average person really, you know, getting out to that beach house and partying it up like it's the 1970s and, you know, snorting whatever it is they do. I don't even know. How do you do drugs? Yeah. I don't know. Do you snort it? Do you put it? You stick it in your face? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> just I've never taken drugs. <laughs> but that's good, TJ. <laughs> but but I I just you know like they're just pushing the boundaries of believability a little bit. Like tone it, cut it back just a little, and I probably would have found it a little more believable. I think. Yeah, you know, I, the, the I, other thing that was the other thing that was completely unbelievable is I would not have been caught dead at any point in my life riding a bike like that. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh, I mean, you do what you do. You, you take what you can. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I think that's really it. I mean, I, I liked it more than I disliked it, but uh, and, and, you know, there wasn't just there's just not a lot to dislike about it. Um, no. You know, it's it's uh, it's got you know little kids getting a little bit foul mouth and stuff, but I mean, that's kind of real life in the situation that they're in. You know. Yeah. There was nothing like that or of that nature that uh, stood out as offensive to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't like that kind of language, but uh, it, it wasn't overused here. No, and, and I uh, mean, I, I have this argument with with people sometimes, but I mean, it, it's kind of like the context. Like, would you would you find the story believable in this context if all, all the kids were saint like? <laughs> you know, right? Uh, so 
Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, yeah, I really like this film a lot. I'm glad. Yeah. You know, uh, the first time I saw this, I mentioned this in my review, I saw it a month before it released, back in June sometime, um, at an early screening. And I liked it so much that I, when it came out in theaters, I took my friends and I paid for one of their tickets. And then I saw it again. And so I, it was a movie that I felt compelled to give money to. That's how much I enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah, I, I th- it's it's it was really good. I think to see a film like this and to think, you know, and and to realize, hey, we're going to talk about a film that I actually really liked on the podcast, rather than you know, uh, let's <laughs> see, what have we talked about lately? Um, Riddick, Riddick was okay. You you didn't like it. I, I thought it was okay. Close Circuit, ugh, terrible. Mortal Instruments, yeah. terrible. Elysium, I hated that. Uh, two Guns, eh, meh. You know, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think it's it's good to finally get one in in here that we we really both enjoyed. Yeah, and this is one of my uh, top three favorite films of the year so far. Yeah, and you you rate it really highly. Uh, what 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 do you what are you giving it here? I would give this a four and a half out of five stars. I mean, my enjoyment of it is probably at a five out of five, but I realize it's not a perfect film, and so that's what uh, the four and a half comes in. Yeah, and I I'm only just going to put it a little lower than you. Uh, I'm going to give it four out of five stars, which is still pretty high praise. I mean, I, I wish I had it like is. a list of my ratings for the year, but I feel like I've been giving a lot of films three three to three and a half stars this year. And uh, I'm just looking through the uh, thing here. Uh, Riddick, I think I gave three and a half, or did I give it three? I, I think. Oh no, I think I gave it two and a half because of yeah. Okay, close circuit. Oh, yeah. I think I gave one and a half. I remember right. I could be wrong on that. Mortal Instruments, one and a half. Um, Elysium, like I think I gave it two. Uh, two Guns, I think I gave two or two and a half or something like that. You know, um, Red Two was was good, but then R.I.P.D. Eh, you know, uh, so so yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of films this year that have just not been spectacular. So it, it's uh, yeah, it's with uh, gladness that I say four out of five stars. Ray. Uh, IMDb uh, users feel kind of the same way. 7.8 out of 10. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, critics are giving it 85% approval rating with audiences giving it a 90% approval rating. So bottom line, I think both of us are going to be recommending this film to you. I'm I'm sorry that we're reviewing it so late that you probably won't be able to catch it in theaters. I just barely did. You were not able to. It's it's pretty much run its course in theaters, but definitely, definitely get this film on Blu-ray or video on demand when it comes out. October 22nd. There you go. Yeah, I, I think this film really just sort of snuck up on people. and uh, A lot of people didn't know about it. And when I took my two best friends to go see it, uh, they were skeptical because they hadn't heard of it. But I kept well, telling them, you know, this is great. This is great, guys. You, trust me. Yeah, I mean, and it, they walked it, away loving it. It never made it in any uh, top of the charts of any kind. It was kind of, I think, a limited release and it trickled around. And yeah, it just didn't get a lot of hype or anything. But uh, and, and, you know, it's just general moviegoers. They want things to go boom. Uh, so right. <laughs> this is I think that's the unfortunate thing. But this was a really good film. So I, I really, really enjoyed it. A lot of fun. Yay. So next week, we're going to talk about Prisoners, uh, starring uh, Hugh Jackman and uh, Jake uh, Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal, however you say his name. Uh, da, 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 da. Who's the other guy that's in this film? Um, he, was in, he was in, uh, he was, he was in uh, Iron Man. Which, which mm-hmm. Iron Man? Uh, the first one, he he was replaced uh, by... Oh, uh, Terrence Howard? Terrence Howard, yes, thank you. Yes. I, I think he's in this film, I don't see his Yes, I, I just looked it up. Terrence Howard and Viola Davis is also in this. Okay, there you go. So we're going to be talking about that next week. I'm not sure yet, I'm not sure if this film's going to be any good or not. I mean, I think it has the potential to be, but it looks like it could be 
Like, like there was another film that looked very similar to this earlier this year called The Call with Halle Berry. I don't know if you saw that film or not. No. Um, I thought it had potential to be good, and I thought it had potential also to be bad, and it turns out it was bad. Just The ending was just – I liked it until like got to the third act and it just went off the rails. And I feel like this film could be very much like that. So we'll see, but uh, it's it's what's playing next weekend so or this weekend, so we're going to talk about it. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's it for us. Uh, so, Chad, where can people find your work, your Twitter, your all that kind of stuff? Where can they keep up with you at? I write my personal reviews at chadlikesmovies.com. Sorry, chadlikesmovies.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. On Twitter at twitter.com slash chadadada. C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. <laughs> and uh, I, I write sometimes at Movie Byte, hopefully more soon. Yeah, I'd love to get you to write more. I'm I'm just barely keeping up with the work as it is. I do write every day. If you want to keep up with my work, uh, catch it over at moviebyte.com. I write at least you know blurbs and, and things about news that's going on and, and give you my opinions and kind of keep you up to date about what's going on. So I do that uh, every day at moviebyte.com every weekday. Um, I also do another podcast besides this one called The Wrap, uh, which you can find on MovieBite at MovieBite.com slash The Wrap, where I talk about just briefly all the kind of fun stuff and the things that I feel like are worthy of mentioning again on that podcast. It's uh, usually around 10 to 15 minutes, so that's a fun way for you to keep up and catch up uh, on movie news and stuff, and it doesn't take too much of your time. So be sure to check that out. Uh, also, you can find me on Twitter at uh, um Twitter.com slash TJ Draper Pro. If you want to uh, follow my pithy comments there, I usually have something fun to say every day. I think it's fun anyway. <laughs> so uh, be sure to uh, check me out there. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would ask if you would please take the time to uh, give us a rating in iTunes. We would really appreciate that. It would help us move up the charts a little bit and uh, get some attention and recognition and help keep the podcast on the air. So all you have to do is go to iTunes, uh, go to the iTunes store and in your iTunes application do a search for Movie Byte, M-O-V-I-E-B-Y-T-E, and we will be the first thing to come up, and all you got to do is click the little rating button, and that would greatly, greatly uh, help us and encourage us. I'm trying to refresh the ratings right now in CommentCast, but uh, Apple just released a new software update today to iOS, and uh, I think... Did they? I hadn't heard about it. I think their servers are slammed. Oh, yeah, you're being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, uh, I can't tell if we got any new ratings this week or not. I meant to do that before the podcast. Anyway, uh, we'd appreciate that if you do that. Uh, if you want to find show notes for this episode, they're at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 61 is where you'll find the show notes for this episode. The links to everything we talked about and all the pertinent information and everything you'll find there. That is it for us this week. Uh, we had fun talking to you, and we'll be here again next week. Ciao. Bye.